San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFB Studios with 50,000 watts of power heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com, and we are free on iTunes if you search the title of the show. And now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's a best-selling author. He's a philanthropist. He is a, a, a family office expert advising several high-net-worth families. And his name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you? tonight i'm doing great joe did i leave something out again no you didn't okay um, you, you left out turkey runner but turkey. I'll, I'll, next next saturday I'll, I'll i'll go over the um go over the great results of the oceanside well, turkey trot at least i didn't just the, say the numbers aren't all in yet i didn't say turkey so turkey i know exactly but speaking of running i wanted to thank my wife mary for arranging the guest on last week's show we did a great show about health and running with Hall of Famer Steve Scott and, of course, his friends Mark Sarno and Nick Scarpella with the Encinitas Mile coming up on March 20th, 2016. So big thanks to my wife Mary for getting those guys hooked up for that great show. Thank you, Mary. Anyway, uh, let's see. What else should we talk about? Uh, you want to talk about the the turkey trot or the? Well, uh, I don't have the numbers in yet, so we'll, yeah. I'll, I've got to get the numbers. So we'll talk about that next Saturday because it takes a little bit, a little about, bit of time. And the tennis tournament, tennis. same story. So okay. There's too many moving pieces during the weeks, <laughs> week of Thanksgiving for me to even um, come up for air, but ev- everything's been going good. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So, but um, anyway, we've got a, a really great show lined up for tonight. We have a couple of guests who've been with us before. They they love our show. Can't say we blame them. <laughs> <laughs> They're sponsors, full disclosure, but that's okay because I know they've all been working with you for many years with great success. Right? That's true, and of course, what they do cost segregation. Uh, cost segregation is, of course, a way to get faster depreciation for real estate owners. They're the best in the country at doing what they do. Hmm. Like all of our sponsors, they are the best. Well, why don't we go ahead and introduce them? Yeah, because one of them flew a long, long way just to be on this radio show. Absolutely. Um, well, he's been with us before, but uh, he runs Cost Segregation Initiatives, and his name is Joel Grushkin. Joel, how are you? I'm great, Joe. It's good to be here. Good to see you too, Richard. Absolutely. Thank As you. always. And we got his Joel's business partner, Kurt Gatreau. All the way from Louisiana. Baton Rouge. There you go. And his name is Kurt Gatreau. Kurt, welcome back. Thank you. Great to be here. You know, it's late <laughs> November. I always enjoy coming in May or June when it's about 105 in Louisiana. Yeah. So fun to be here in November, but it's always great to be here during our summers. <laughs> Well, but we, we, we dragged you out here to talk to all of the CPAs, the certified public accountants, since it's getting near year end. Yeah, what brought you to town, Kurt? Just uh, a business trip or what? Um, speaking at some groups or what? Business trip. We're speaking to groups a lot about what we're going to talk about today on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, there are new rules that came out a couple of years ago. Now that CPAs and real estate owners have been through a year of these new rules, um, we're getting updates where we you know there the rules that are now being applied everybody sort of has their hands around it so we're here to talk about what's the latest greatest one or two years after everybody's kind of implemented the new rules mm-hmm. yeah and we want to hear about what the irs thinks about all of this but you know we have a lot of real estate owners who listen to this show 
and we've had some great real estate guests well, on. I think yeah, just we, by way of refresher for listeners out there, Richard, maybe we should just explain or let Joel or Kurt to explain what cost segregation is. Right. Uh, and so. I, was, I was going there, Joe, by Good. my reference to real estate. Oh, so, okay. But we'll just let Kurt talk. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> what well, on earth is cost segregation? What is cost segregation? Cost segregation is a tax technique for real estate owners whereby they accelerate their deductions into current years. We like to call it a tax deferral. They like to think of it as tax savings. Mm -hmm. It is significant tax savings for real estate investors as well as business owners who operate out of their own buildings, maybe manufacturing, medical, a whole host of real estate owners. Uh, We accelerate their depreciation and save them significant tax dollars especially in the first five years they own their properties. Which means improved cash flow for the real estate owner, right? Yes. And in many cases, uh, some we've, Joel and I have worked with bankers who have used this as a bridge for what you may call a loan that's close uh, to scoring what they want to score it at in the bank. And when we can throw a little cash flow in the deal uh, by performing cost segregation on their building, it sort of makes the whole project work. Makes mm. it pencil out even better. Mm-hmm. But I know you've been out here talking to a lot of CPAs because it's near your end, and I think it's a great time for CPAs to look at their real estate-owning clients to um, maybe give some thought to how they might, um, shall we say, improve cash flow by using this technique. Are are you finding that most CPAs are pretty much up to speed on on these new rules and regulations that are fairly new, or is there still a lot of learning to do? I think there's a lot of learning to do. I think uh, a year or two... This is a 10-year project, a 10-year undertaking by the IRS, 200 examples in the regulations, and 300 new pages of regs. Now, generally, we we hear uh, too much government regulation. We hear all of these things. These new rules were about building repairs and repairs in general. So the IRS really needed to lay these rules out for business owners. Just a quick compliment. I think the IRS did a pretty good job of taking a long history of court cases and a long history of rulings and trying to implement those in as uh, reasonable a fashion as they can for the taxpayer. Yeah, it's taken all of us. Oh, go ahead, Richard. I'm sorry. I've actually read them. I mean, it's extremely logical, their approach. I think their approach is very logical. It takes a year or two of implementing new rules for us to sort of figure out what do they really mean? What are we learning a year later? What is the IRS learning a year later, and how has the IRS responded to what they're seeing out there in the in the tax world? So. But I, I really view cost segregation, and I was out speaking to CPAs about this three years ago when there wasn't much public discourse on the topic, and to the extent there was, a lot of CPAs were saying, well, I'll worry about it when I'm forced to in terms of when the new regulations are effective. But I, I've been speaking to CPAs for a number of years about how, in my view, the clarification that is in these regulations is really an opportunity for CPAs to actually help their clients improve their cash flow, more rapid depreciation, but also, I think, with greater clarity over what CPAs can expense. In other words, call, say, repairs and maintenance for their clients. Uh, Now, I was sort of the lone wolf saying you should view these as an opportunity as opposed to yet more regulation that we have to dig through with 200 examples and 300 pages. But wouldn't you agree that there's a huge amount of opportunity here? I think there's a huge amount of opportunity as well as lots of clarification from the IRS. For example, one of their examples is um, a, a owner of real estate has an office building with 300 windows. They replace 100 of those 300 windows. 
that's now considered a repair. I think there are many tax professionals across the country who a year or two ago would have thought, you know, we need to capitalize and depreciate those new windows. Yeah, just because of the sheer amount of the cost. Because of the sheer amount of cost and size. And here we see the IRS giving us an example. This is something you can consider. It's not an improvement. We can consider it a repair, and it's currently deductible. The other piece, I think, Richard, that the IRS sort of put out there as a sister set of regulations are dispositions. If I renovate my building... I'm able to take some of the stuff, some of the walls, ceilings, floors that I've torn out of my building, write those assets down to zero, which is creating, Joel and I are finding huge deductions for clients that are current deductions that saved them substantial taxes in 2014, 2015, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no question those opportunities are out there, and I think to the extent we have greater clarification. But let, let's back up just a second for some of our listeners who aren't as well-versed on depreciation. Our general rules are that if you own real estate that is not residential, in other words, let's say an office building or a hotel, we depreciate things over 39 years. And if you own what we call residential real estate, call that a multi-family apartment building, we'd appreciate the building over 27 years. So obviously the opportunity to identify certain kinds of property to depreciate, say, over five years or 15 years, by definition, gives you much greater depreciation and thus more tax savings and thus more cash flow early on. And I know in the real estate arena, many people don't own buildings for 39 years or they do tax-free exchanges into other buildings. So nobody's really concerned about how much depreciation they get in years 36, 37, and 38, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Very true. And Well, anyway, uh, let's digest what Richard just said. We gotta, we'll come right back with Kirk Gottschrow and Joel Grotschkin from Cost Segregation Initiatives right after this. Hang on. We're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, trying to get smart here with Kurt Gottschow and Joel Greshkin from Cost Segregation Initiatives. And Richard, where did we leave off? Well, Chief, that's the second biggest depreciation <laughs> deduction I've ever seen. But speaking of which, so Joel Greshkin, I wanted to ask um, sort of a two-part question. When you're doing a cost segregation study, what things do you look, look at? But part and parcel of that question, what are examples of types of buildings that seem to be ideal for this, this application there are you know cost segregation will work on virtually any type of building some obviously are going to be better than others but what what we look at is the depreciable basis so someone buys a building uh, it's a purchase price we have to back out the land value the underlying land so that's called land allocation What's left over is the depreciable basis. So, for is, example, you buy a building for $5 million, you might say $1 million, 20% is land, 80% or $4 million is building. Correct. Yep. And then with that $4 million, we then take a set of plans and we start breaking that building down into all the elements that make up a building. So we've got, we've got a roof, we've got the, the uh, structural walls, We've got a plumbing system. We've got an electrical system, an HVAC system, and, and so on and so forth. Maybe elevators. We've got elevators, and we're going to put values on that, but each, each of those systems, and we have to look at the age of the building, how long it's been in service, how long those component parts have been in service, and we come up with those values. And then we look at the things that are not part of the structure, 
the the uh, other improvements in the building. So it's carpet, it's uh, it's tile, it is uh, window coverings, wall coverings. Fixtures. Depending on the kind of what the building is used for, we may have equipment in the building, and to make that equipment function, we had to bring in more electrical or we had to plumb the building if it was a medical building as opposed to a general office building. In a medical building, every exam room had to be plumbed for water uh, as opposed to a, a normal business office where, you know, the only plumbing might be the coffee station. Mm -hmm. So when you have to make modifications to a building and bring in more electric or bring in more plumbing or wiring to make the business function, those items become classified as specialty items. They're typically going to have a five-year life instead of a 39-year life. Same thing on a residential-type property, apartment buildings. There are a whole bunch of things in that apartment building that don't fall into that structural category. And those could be, again, specialty wiring, specialty lighting, the carpet, the window coverings, the wall coverings, special molding and decorator kinds of things that all go to five-year. One of those areas are, are cabinetry. Cabinetry isn't necessarily standard, so some of that cabinetry goes to a five-year life instead of a 27-and-a-half-year life. Yeah, so I think of, when I think of, like, Get Smart's control building, I think of the cone of silence as something that would be... <laughs> well, what percentage... Definitely five-year property. <laughs> Definitely five-year property. In the accounting industry, what percentage... <laughs> Joel and Kurt, what would you say? What percentage in the accounting industry is, is as well-versed as you guys or, or is well-versed in cost seg uh, out there? Is it 10%, 15%? I mean... Uh, or is it hard, hard to generalize? Or? Kind of a difficult question. Right? Richard speaks to CPAs all the time. Richard, what do you think? We're, we're maybe batting 250 at this point. <laughs> we, we were below the Mendoza line a couple of years ago. But we're up to about 250. Because it is a, it's a, a sophisticated type of depreciation. Would you say that? Yeah, uh, it, and, it, and it only applies to not single-family residents. It's only commercial, industrial, right? Well, it can, it can be single-family residents that are used as rental property. If you oh, own okay. a ton of, a lot right. of them, yeah. for example. I mean, we, we, so commercial. Okay. We, we have some clients that have some high-end single-family residential that they keep in a, in a rental pool and rent it out. They don't use it for personal oh, use. I didn't know and, that either. And so we can do that. Uh, it just depends on the value. I may and... have a client for you guys. Well, <laughs> uh, but I'll jump in here, too, as well. I, I think cost segregation is becoming more and more viewed as a specialty, tax specialty. Mm -hmm. So if you're not up to speed on, for example, research and development credits, you may hire a tax specialty firm for R&D. If you're not up to speed on pension plans, you may hire a, a, specialty, a specialized firm to hire your pension plan. We're that tax specialty firm in the area of cost segregation Few firms have construction expertise, know how to look at a set of blueprints. They may bring that expertise in-house, but many hire us. So understanding all the different uh, items we deal with in a cost segregation study is difficult. That's, where that's why we have specialty firms. That's why they rely on us. I'll throw this concept out. Why don't you gents develop a certificate uh, uh, for people who specialize in this, who, who meet your standards or get through the battery of tests and give them a certificate in cost seg, and, um, and then they're certified to practice 
and there you go. Maybe it's a it's a great idea, Joe. When the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals appreciate your oh, idea okay. <laughs> and your plug on their radio station, maybe we'll make those guys a sponsor as well. Okay. Yeah, but, but the challenge is there are specialties out there. Mm-hmm. They do exist. We have one of the members of our team is a senior cost seg professional, mm-hmm. specializing in that area with credentials. So it's becoming, to my point, more and more of a tax specialty okay. in our in the whole area of the business. And so the more you delve in, the more you learn. But my, my criticism of the CPA profession with CostSeg is that most CPAs think of it as what I call an accounting exercise. Oh, we got this building so we can put 10% to carpet. It's not really an accounting exercise. It's really a real estate application or what I call an engineering exercise. That is to say, doesn't somebody have to actually understand how a building gets created? Yes, they do. They need to understand how a building gets created. They need to understand how uh, electrical engineers design buildings and allocate electrical uh, output to a particular piece of equipment. They need to understand all of those things. So it's not only tax specialty, it requires construction background and construction experience. So, for example, well. you, when, you, when you're doing a cost tech study, Joe, you guys are looking at blueprints, for example, right? Absolutely. We're, we're looking at a set of blueprints. What we're really doing is tearing a building completely apart and then building it back up. So we have to be able to look at all the structural elements. Uh, it, you know, it, it used to be that some studies were getting done where they would pull out the what we called low-hanging fruit, some mm-hmm. of the short-life property, and then leave everything else in one line item uh, that was either 39-year, if it was a commercial building, or 27-and-a-half if, if it was uh, residential. But they weren't breaking out the elements that make up that building. So they didn't have a value on the roof, uh, let alone a value on the substructure of the roof. And they didn't break out the the exterior walls and and tell you what the square footage cost was, uh, or or you know per square foot what was the cost of that wall. Same thing with the plumbing or any of now what we refer to as systems. If you're going to do cost segregation now, so that your your client down the road could do a a disposition or partial disposition. You've got to have that level of detail that gets down to unit cost. And without that, you have a heck of a time trying to provide the backup that the IRS is going to want to see when when you take on that kind of a disposition. Yeah, and I I think of cost seg as applying in three general areas. I think we'll talk about all of them after the break. The first is the obvious one, when somebody buys a building, not as obvious when somebody passes away and the surviving spouse or the kids get what we call a step-up in basis, in other words, they get to re-depreciate the building, I think that's an opportunity frequently missed, but it's not much different than buying one. Then there's the application you just alluded to. When somebody is doing improvements to a building, they also are most likely taking certain things out of that building to do the new work. And then the last general topic I want to talk about after the break is, well, what about the cost of maintaining, repairing buildings? where you're not buying a new building or actually doing a ton of improvements to it, but you have these ongoing costs, what might generally be considered repairs and maintenance. In many cases, CPAs capitalize the bigger picture, the, the bigger total items there, which I think there's some opportunity being missed. But, but, but wouldn't you say cost seg applies to all of those disciplines? Absolutely. Positively, yes. I think the application of cost seg started out as, how do we write a building off faster? How right. do we save taxes? With these new regs, uh, the regulations that are out now, we have three or four applications 
that cost segregation applies to all of those applications. Repairs, uh, maintenance, disposition, we'll certainly get into all of those areas after the break. Well, why don't we do that? Justin, fire up the music. We'll come right back with Kurt Gattrow and Joel Gresham from Cost Segregation Initiatives right after these announcements. the second half of the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard thanks our sponsors. Like right now, big thank you to Michael Caranta and Drew Freitas with UBS. We couldn't do this without UBS. They, of course, were also the major sponsor of Art San Diego that happened a few weeks ago here in San Diego, as they are every year. Our favorite CPAs, Jason Kruger, CPA with Signature Analytics. Signature Analytics, a great CFO service, now with five offices along the West Coast. Also, our favorite CPAs up in San Marcos, Polito Epic CPAs, Paul Polito and Don Epic. Paul Polito, of course, a recent award winner for the Advisor of the Year here in San Diego. A great award. Carl Sheeler, Berkeley Research Group, helping business owners improve the values of their businesses by understanding the risks that drive those values. If you reduce risk, you increase business value. Speaking of making money, our guest tonight. Joel Grushkin with his partner, Kurt Gattreau, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, cost segregation initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Brenda Geiger, Geiger Law Office, and a participant in my Oceanside Turkey Trot. Thanks for coming out and supporting the cause, Brenda. Her law office specializes in estate planning and asset protection. She's also the author of six really cool books. Our favorite bank, California Republic Bank, Lane Elliott, now joined by Sean Puckett. UTC branch of a great bank that originated out of Orange County that specializes in the banking needs of wealthy families and family offices. Hub International, also known as Mars Maddox Insurance, with Mr. Neil Staley, great employee benefits firm. This is still open enrollment period for health plans. So if you have major confusion with regard to that decision, like most of us do, Hub International can definitely help. The LG Experience and the Lombardi Group, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. We have a big seminar coming up for CPAs in San Diego in May. More on that later. The soon-to-be-completed Carlsbad Classic is in tomorrow. Come on out tomorrow and watch the finals at Carlsbad Classic up at Park Hyatt Aviara in Carlsbad. And last but not least, the CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. That would be recent guest Paul Hines. Paul also heads up. This is a new name. The SeniorSafeAndSound.org project. Again, SeniorSafeAndSound.org, helping to prevent senior elder abuse here in this community and other communities. Also, big thanks to Courtney Lauber at PopX Graphics, who is soon to be married. Congratulations, Courtney. You can take one week off for your honeymoon, but then we need you back to do a great job on our website where our listeners can find out what, Joe? Well, all they have to go, do is get their uh, computer over to iymoney.com and get their cursor over to the Sponsor tab. There's a drop-down menu there where they can get all their background information and contact information, and I know they've all been working with you for many, many years with great success, correct? In some cases, dating back more than 30 <laughs> years. That's a long Quite time. I should say. But anyway, uh, we are back with Kirk Gattro and Joel Grushkin talking about cost segregation, this uh, this uh, arcane tax specialty of, of which they are experts. And what did we want to cover in these well, closing I, segments? I wanted to talk briefly about, in those three areas that I alluded to before the break, what the IRS experience and what the taxpayer experience has been with the new regs, shall we say, through the 2014 filing season, and then what we might expect for 2015. So starting with the most obvious one, 
when somebody buys a new building or if somebody passes away and we get step up in basis, um, what, what would you say happened and what, we, what would you say, Kurt or Joel, is, is new that we should be thinking about here for 2015 and 2016? Cost segregation. Um, there's, uh, I don't want to say that there's nothing new, but I think that we're still doing cost seg studies in those areas. Step up in basis, new acquisitions, just like we've always done cost segregation studies. It's when those clients, these what we call repair regs, are referred to as tangible property regs. So tangible property means things we can touch and feel. Mm-hmm. So when our real estate owners decide that they're going to start to put new new items, new components in the building. That's what we're seeing new in 2015. For 2014, the IRS opened a window and said, look, these are new regs. So if you want to go back to all the previous years that you've owned your buildings and you've tore stuff out of those buildings and make this late election to deduct all of the previous items you've torn out of your building, you can do that in 2014. It required a what we call a Form 3115. I don't want to go there uh, for our radio listeners, but it gave you the opportunity to sort of look back and, and get rid of those old deductions. Okay, so that was sort of new for 2014. But that opportunity That opportunity ended. and window is closed right. with 2014 returns. So for 2015, we're looking for what are the items that we've torn out of our buildings. And if we sort of go back here, to 10 minutes ago when Joel was telling us we're giving values to walls and electrical and roofs and plumbing and HVAC and floors, as you put those values on, um, your depreciation schedule after a cost-seg study, when our owners decide, you know what, it's time for me to do something to the building, then we're going to look back at all those values and gain all of those, um, look at all those values and write those off currently in our tax year. What we're seeing a lot of in our industry is, you know, the crash hit uh, our big recession in 2009. Everybody just hunkered down, right? I don't want to spend any capital Mm -hmm. money. I don't want to, I really don't want to do anything I don't have to do. So what we're seeing a polythory of right now is the rebranding, especially by franchises, maybe the auto industry. They're all going back to their franchisees and saying, you know what? The economy's better. You're doing better. It's time for us to upgrade and what we call refresh or rebrand those spaces. Mm -hmm. That involves tearing out a lot of the old and putting in a lot of new. And so we're flipping those properties, spending three, four hundred thousand dollars. So if the franchisee is looking and saying, how am I going to come up with four hundred grand for all ten of my locations? We're going to do a cost sake study on the old building prior to you ripping out signs uh, plumbing, electrical, HVAC, seating, restaurant equipment, whatever the franchise may be, you're going to load it up with all the new stuff, and we're going to do a study on the new so that you have basically dual deductions, getting rid of old as well as depreciating quicker all the new items in the building. That's a big change for 2015. Yeah, I, we're seeing that in the apartment, or starting to see that in the apartment industry here in San Diego, where a lot of the buildings are 50 years plus old and all the owners are at least that old if not older and in many cases getting out of the business because of age and so you're seeing some 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 consolidation and then some some improvements being made to a lot of the residential property also seeing that to some degree in the hospitality space here could could you gents just uh i know this yields cash flow for the for the building owner could you just maybe run through the math or how does that work uh, in a nutshell well joe use an example of one of the buildings that i'm associated with at my family office without mentioning where 
Um, well, we've we've done a number of those, and I I think uh, if if we look at uh, let's talk about a, a hotel property uh, where the we were able to do a, a very large uh, renovation of that property and uh, and take a very substantial uh, write off of all of the elements that were torn out, which I think was you know, getting close to a, a third of what the mm-hmm. taxable basis was. Correct. And then we restudied everything that was going back into it. And because that year we had bonus depreciation available, uh, virtually half of the cost uh, of, of that uh, new build uh, was, was taken in the first year in the form of, of depreciation. Yeah, it was deductions of well over a million dollars. In fact, I think the tax savings was going from memory well over a million dollars. It was. It It was. was. That's right. Yeah, and and so significant. And and really what we're seeing in uh, in general, as you mentioned about San Diego, with with an apartment inventory that is 40 to 50 years old typically, um, a lot of what people are now finding out is that they can support higher rents by going into some of these units and upgrading them by perhaps adding washers and dryers, which these units didn't have before, but you've got to make some plumbing changes and electrical changes. But that money comes back extremely quickly because that apartment is now worth way more on a monthly basis. And there are people waiting to rent those. And the rents are higher. And and the depreciation reductions are bigger. And it's all very positive for the... um, for the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to come back on a break, though, Richard. So uh, why don't we take our I'll break? I'll save that question. Yeah, we'll be back, we'll be back with Kurt Gotro and Joel Greshkrit from Cost Segregation uh, Initiatives right after this. Hang on. <laughs> We are back in the home stretch with these Avengers of the cost segregation field. <laughs> we're we're going to go with Gotro. Kurt Gotro and Joel Grushkin, two experts here. Well, let's give Joel's uh, website while we're at it, costseganalyst.com. And, of course, you can always find them on our website, iymoney.com, uh, because you may want to get a hold of these gents after hearing all this interesting information and, about and Kurt, do you saving also, money. Do you use a separate website? We do. It's costsegainitiatives.com. Okay. 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 Perfect. Well, they can always find them through our website, too. So, so anyway, get, getting to my third example of, of expenses, for lack of a better term, we have all of these expenses associated with maintaining and keeping up real estate. And I think, I think that's one of the most exciting areas. And again, I agree, the history of cost segue is, well, how do we depreciate buildings faster? But, but I think what the IRS has come up with, I think, is just much more, they've offered much more clarity about, well, what on earth do I do with expenses that I have to incur to maintain these buildings that I own? Yes, and I again, I think it's an area where the IRS has taken this regulation, and as you say, Richard, they've created clarity. One of the exceptions, I'll call it, to having to take these expenses, what we think of as repair and maintenance expenses, and capitalize them and write them off over a much longer time period is routine maintenance exception. Let's go to the apartment world. As Joel mentioned earlier, we do see lots of activity in the apartment area, but if we think about uh, apartment, our, our tenants moving in and out of an apartment, maybe when they move in and out, we're painting, we're replacing carpet, vinyl tile, hopefully not appliances, it's not that bad. But there's a lot of activity that goes on, on in a, 
very routine basis and a very routine manner. The IRS has used to put, finally put definitions around what qualifies as routine maintenance. I think for most apartment owners, they'll be very happy that if they're going to perform these activities more than once in a 10-year period, those are considered routine, they're maintenance, and they're currently deductible. Previous years, we as CPAs, Richard and I, may look at a particular expenditure, and our first question, Richard, was, how much did you spend? Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the first question anymore. It may be, what are the activities? How often do you perform those activities? Tell me what you did and didn't do to that property. Maybe we can make it currently deductible as opposed to you taking this big expense and writing it off over a very long period of time. Yeah, not only residential, but many um, office buildings where tenants, they tend to stay longer. But typically, if somebody's been there five years, you probably have to replace the carpet for the next tenant. Um, also, hospitality, hotel rooms tend to have fairly rapid turnover of um, carpet uh, just because there's so many people going in and out over the years. Yes, and we see lots of refurbishments of the of a complete hotel room where they're going to maybe redo the entire restroom area. They're also going to redo the bed, the carpet, the wall covering, which is wallpaper. They're just going to totally go in, shut a floor down, and totally renovate that floor. A great area for hotel owners to pick up deductions as we continue to renovate and improve those rooms. Yes, yeah, so I, I think I think the huge opportunity is for CPAs to basically create more current year deductions on the repair and maintenance line. In other words, instead of capitalizing all of these things on the balance sheet or the depreciation schedule, but it really gets down to the CPA asking questions so they understand what's being done and how often it has to be done and so on. And that's what I like about the regulations is the opportunity. I like the opportunity. I think, again, the IRS has done a great job of clarifying what is maintenance versus what is something capital in nature. Uh, and they put some good rules out there in front of us that do provide clarity. Um, this is an area for CPAs as well. The IRS has put together quite a few examples in the regulations. Easy to read, easy to understand for CPAs easy to draw some great conclusions for your clients. It does create great opportunity. Yeah, so, Kurt, let me ask a question. Not to assume I'm a client or a CPA, and, and I'm having this discussion with my client for the 2015 return or for 2016 income tax planning, and I look at an old depreciation schedule, and I see things that we capitalized in 2014 or 2013 or 2012, which under this new definition, I would have said, well, that's really repairs. We capitalized carpeting in 2013, but every I just learned that every three years, my client has to do new carpeting. Is there any opportunity to go back and look at things on the depreciation schedule? Sure. I think our big opportunity for was in 2014. Mm -hmm. There's a ver very limited, narrow opportunity for 2015 if our... Um, for the asset that holds the real, for the entity that holds the real estate, if our gross revenues under ten million dollars or our assets are under ten million dollars, mm -hmm. there's opportunities in 2015 to look back and take those repair deductions in 2015. It's going to require that little quirky 3115 form again. However, if you were a large entity or you filed your 3115 in 2014. Those opportunities have come and gone. We're going to apply the rules then on a prospective basis. But but there's still this opportunity with that particular. Particularly for small businesses. Right. Think under of it as small, million. under $10 million in assets or revenue. That's yeah, now, now yes. speaking of limitations, we, we also have this debate of, okay, I go out and I buy something small that has a useful life of three or five years. Um, I pay $600 for it or I pay $1,000 for it. What are the guidelines for it? Do I get to expense that or do I have to even capitalize it because of its longer life, even though it's tiny? 
if it's longer life, if it's if it's expected to last less than a year, less than 12 months of a useful life, we call it, you can currently expense it. The IRS set the limit at about $200 instead of $600, mm-hmm. but the, they have already announced in 2015 in February that they're looking at the $200 threshold and they're going to increase it at some point in time. We certainly would expect them to do that before we file our 2015 tax returns. Um, fortunately for CPAs, we have a very large lobbying group, very large trade association called the AICPA, the American Institute. The American Institute has jumped out there for CPAs. They're pushing for a $2,500 limit, which is a significant increase. Most CPAs I talk to are happy with, hey, if we can move this to 1000 1500 what a great opportunity for us to not worry about small stuff, as you refer to, Richard, um, and really adme- ease what we call those administrative burdens. So the, the battlefield between taxpayers and the IRS and cost seg over the next two or three years as, as we get more clarity with what we think is important to the IRS, where, where do you think the challenges are going to come from? On what topics? I think the topic, I think the real topic, the real challenges where there's a lack of clarity, I think the IRS understood there was going to be a lack of clarity, is going to be in the area of tenant improvements, office office tenants, we'll call them, and in particular, retail improvements. We're expecting a new revenue procedure from the IRS before the end of the year on resolving some issues for retail tenants. And let's, if we just step back a minute, if I own a strip center, we have 10 tenants. Mm-hmm. Those tenants, like apartment tenants, come and go, mm-hmm. come and go, come and go. I, as the landlord, may provide walls, ceilings, HVAC, carpeting. One tenant moves out, the next tenant moves in. Maybe I tear out. of the stuff I put in for the first tenant, maybe I tear it all out, but there's this in and out of assets, of parts and pieces that I think is a challenge, and it's very difficult to get our hands around exactly what takes place in the history of that retail center. The IRS, again, recognizes it's an issue, and I think before the end of the year, we're going to see some clarification. And you're very close to the changes because of your role in the profession, correct? Yes, I am the... Uh, chair, national chair of the Technical Standards Committee of the American Society of Cost Seg Professionals. This is a great group of like-minded people, our peers in the business, uh, who all want to do it a little better, uh, a little higher quality than maybe we see in the general marketplace of Cost Seg. That Technical Standards Committee brings great minds to the table. We talk uh, on a monthly basis as well as at our annual conference to to talk about issues. Fortunately, people on that committee uh, talk to some of the folks at the IRS, share those thoughts and comments with us. We're able to pass those on to your listeners. Yeah, well, that's a big advantage. I mean, you, you could, so to speak, to use a Maxwell Smartism, and pick up the shoe phone and call the people at the IRS who are working <laughs> on this stuff, right? Yes, and I, I will say this is an area where we find uh, the IRS is extremely helpful. They pick the phone up. The technical people will talk to you about what they understand the regulations, not only say, but what they intended for it to say, um, and hopefully help you through those issues. And again, you mentioned that this is really sort of a 10-year initiative from the IRS's perspective, correct? That is correct. They started this initiative about 10 years ago. Final rules came out in early, in late uh, September of 13. We applied them on 14 returns, and so this will be the second year where CPAs are getting their hands around these rules and applying them in 2015. Mm. 
Anyway, gents, we have to wrap it right there. Uh, folks, anybody who, uh, if you know anybody who owns any of these large real estate properties, get a hold of these guys, costsegganalyst.com or at iwaymoney.com to find out more. But thank you, Kurt Gautreau from Louisiana in town. Nice to and thank you, Joe, Joe Grushkin. from Solana Beach, California. There Absolutely. You go. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard, good seeing you. Justin Hart on our soundboard. Thanks for making us sound terrific. And thanks to Craig Blanking, our account executive, and to Dave Smith, our programming genius here at KFMB. You have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time. All these are commercial-free on iymoney.com, all these podcasts. Bye-bye.